Welcome to CPAC's Today in Politics. It's Wednesday, April 19th. I'm Julie Van Dusen. Here are the big political stories we're talking about today. More than 155,000 federal public servants will go on strike today after the federal government and PSAC, the Public Service Alliance of Canada, failed to reach a deal by last night's deadline. We are still here at the table. We will remain at the table. We will remain for as long as it takes during the strike. And we will remain on strike until the government addresses our key issues at the bargaining table. The Prime Minister defends a Christmas vacation to a luxurious Jamaican estate owned by a family who donated to the Trudeau Foundation. It's been about 50 years that this uh, family and ours have been friends. We worked, as we do, uh, with all vacations with the Ethics Commissioner to make sure uh, that all the rules are followed. The opposition parties say Trudeau is out of touch and lacks judgment. $160,000 of taxpayer expenses for the Prime Minister to go down to the private villa, luxurious villa, of a super-rich Trudeau Foundation donor for which the nightly cost is as much as 9000 and I think that what this vacation shows is just another example of a Prime Minister that doesn't understand the realities of everyday Canadians. So I'm joined by Michael Serapio, host of CPAC's Primetime Politics. Thanks for being on the podcast this morning, Michael. Always fun to be with you, Julie. Good morning. Good morning. So we have a lot to talk about, as usual. Last night, late, uh, the union uh, PSAC came out and uh, basically said what many people could be dreading, right? A strike is underway. 150,000, mm-hmm. 155,000 workers are out, out of their offices or sometimes out of their homes if they're remote workers. Uh, picket lines are being set up in 250 locations. The government put out a release last night saying it did everything it could to reach a deal. The union obviously doesn't think so. What what are the key issues? Well, uh, you know, it's really interesting. And I think uh, the big one, maybe no surprise to anybody, wages. The mm-hmm. the, the government, as we heard from them, uh, offering 9% across three years, the the union wanting 13.5% across three years. So, so uh the government has come up since negotiations began and, you know, certain bargaining units have been at this for, for about a year and a half. So the government offer has come up. We, we don't know where the union is last uh, with their proposal. As we heard from Chris Aylward, he's not going to negotiate the details uh, in the press, <clears throat> excuse me, but obviously wages, there's still a spread there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and there are other issues. The union wants to, for example, enshrine work from home uh, language into the the collective bargaining unit so or a collective bargaining uh, agreement so so yeah I, I think that remains the two sticking points from the union although the the federal government as they try to justify and, and explain their side of it beyond offering uh, what they said is responsible not only as an employer but also to Canadian taxpayers uh they they also talked about uh premium pay uh, for certain shifts uh increasing personal leave for family reasons uh they they essentially also said that they were addressing work from home so you know, obviously the, the the negotiations still continue and uh, essentially to hear it from the union they will continue negotiating so long as the the federal government wants to negotiate but still uh, enough distance for the two sides for them to to essentially say they are on strike as of 12:01 a.m. eastern you know earlier today Right. And and so this will be a very visible strike uh, with locations across the country, including here in Ottawa, outside the prime minister's office. Uh, you know, uh, the people on strike will will be out there making their case. Uh, 
probably close to the parliament buildings when MPs go in. Um, you know, I'm just wondering in terms of someone like Pierre Poiliev, who's been using the argument for months that Canada is broken, but he's also got the delicate dance of uh, representing many public servants in his own writing. And, uh, you know, I, I guess I'm just wondering, you know, how long will this strike last? No one knows, but there is that possibility, perhaps, of back-to-work legislation. Wouldn't he be Trudeau's only dance partner? Well, he, he would certainly be a significant dance partner if he was in on it, uh, as would the Bloc Québécois. We know uh, very well that Jagmeet Singh and the NDP say being a, a workers' party, they would not support any back-to-work legislation in the House. So so definitely, he is a potential dance partner. But as you say, you know, he does represent a riding in the national capital region. So where does that fall? But I, I think, you know, as much as it may present a challenge, for politicians, if and when, and you know, no one's talking about back to work legislation quite yet. No, uh, but if and when that happens, I, I think there will be a few things he and other members of parliament are going to have to look at uh, beyond the demands being made by PSAC. And of course, you uh, as an employer, uh, you want to keep labor peace as much as possible. But it depends on how much of a disruption this is going to be for Canadian lives. And and that is really a, a part of the, the picture for any calculus or one of the, the parts of the equation, because as you say, 250 areas will be mm -hmm. a strike a strike positions as right. of today. Right. Uh, of that 155,000 workers, about 100,000 will be striking. Uh, about, I think about 35,000 are, are still essential workers. So they'll be, they'll be on the job. But we're hearing things like disruption at the border, disruption mm -hmm. on trade supply, uh, mm -hmm. disruptions in terms of passports at airports. Uh, and of course, uh, CRA, Canada Revenue Agency, their workers are also part of the strike action as Canadians are, are still expected to file their taxes file their income the tax, month. Exactly. So, yeah, so, you know, I think it depends on how long this goes and where it sits with public opinion. You know, this is uh, day one, so it, it's hard to say. Um, I think there is an argument to be made that many Canadians would be sympathetic to uh, what the arguments being made by the union at this point, because what they are talking about is what they see as a increase in their salary reflective of the cost of living. And while we heard Tiff Macklin saying that, you know, the inflation rate will get back to 2% as of the beginning of next year, and he just made that comment uh, yesterday, mm -hmm. um, for many P Canadians across the country, they still struggle. They're struggling with rent, they're struggling with mortgage payments, they're struggling with grocery prices, which and grocery prices still remain stubbornly high. Um, I think right now, there is at least an audience that would be sympathetic to the message that workers need an increase here in order to 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 meet the cost of living. Right. But but a lot of people wouldn't necessarily be that sympathetic. You know, they, they don't have pensions, they don't have same benefit yep. packages. Um, you know, think of people who work in grocery stores that are going to work every day. They don't have the opportunity of working remotely. Uh, they don't have all those benefits or uh, a pension plan for the most part. So, Absolutely. I mean, it, yeah. it just depends uh, how you how you look at it. But but just to finish on the remote work, very interesting, mm -hmm. because this is the first uh, general strike that brings in that whole idea of remote work. And for example, you have to be on the picket line four hours a day to get 
the $75, I believe it is. And even if you've been re working remotely for the past two years, you still have to go out there. But it'll be interesting to see where remote work lands. Well, and and again, you know, I, I'll go back to Chris Elward because I was speaking to him earlier this week, and certainly uh, he's had a number of uh, news conferences as well he, coming up to to last night. Uh, he makes the argument that they're not just arguing or they're just not fighting for the federal workers who are members of PSEC. He also makes the argument that they are fighting for all workers across the country because we are talking about a significant number of workers. It sets a precedent, he says, by what the federal government agrees to. It has a knockoff effect on workers right across the country. So that goes to wages, but that also goes to uh, work from home. And, and it, when you think about a precedent, that issue will be is currently being argued right now by workers across the country so so that will be interesting to watch where that is because again they want it enshrined in the collective bargaining mm -hmm. agreement mm -hmm. and if that sets a precedent for every other union for other workers uh, you know it adds to arguments that everyone can make across the country if they want to enshrine working from home right exactly and uh, just from the government's perspective we also have to keep our eye on the fact that the government is going to have a news conference today at 11 o'clock and mm -hmm. some key ministers mona fortier with the treasury board karina gould minister of families diane uh, le boutillier minister of national revenue sean fraser minister of immigration all uh departments that are going to be deeply impacted so they're having a news conference to answer questions, give a technical briefing. So anyway, lots to follow on this today. But let's Absolutely. move on to a big, hot political story that certainly dominated uh, the Commons yesterday. Mm -hmm, and um, mm -hmm. I know I, I was at question period and kind of looking down at the... I know, Julie, this is a part-time gig. You're at the Commons <laughs> yesterday. <laughs> Must be some kind of loser. I don't know. Anyway, so uh, and I was looking down at them and I thought, wow, they I mean, you, you don't know what people are feeling or thinking, but we've certainly heard behind the scenes. A lot of them are kind of disappointed and frustrated. They look kind of deflated there. It's, it's hard to clap enthusiastically um, when the prime minister is defending what looks to many like a lavish trip, uh, you know, yes, with a longtime friend. But, you know, so where do, where do you see this going now? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it, we you were actually at the office yesterday briefly and we were talking about it. And, you know, what's interesting about this is the timing, uh, because on the one hand, you 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 have an expensive vacation, uh, which looks like the cost of which was was taken care of by mm -hmm. by a, a family friend. And we heard it from the prime minister yesterday as he got up in the house saying, you know, our our two families have known each other for some 50 years. My my father was a godfather to to one of their children. Their father was a godfather to one of my brothers. So he he, he basically lays out these are family friends. And if you take out the dollar figure from it, $9,000 a night, I think that is an argument that he he's hoping resonates with many Canadians. If you had a family friend who lived, for example, in Nova Scotia, would you not stay with them in Nova Scotia? So I, you know, I think there's, that's the one argument, but again, it comes off as, as a huge amount of privilege. Uh, the second issue is the amount of money that was paid for security for the prime minister. But from Mark Holland, we heard the argument yesterday. Well, wherever the prime minister goes, you know, if he'd stayed at the Holiday Inn Express, you'd have to be paying for security anyways, because he is the prime minister. So I think there is that argument. But what really sets this apart 
as you know, is the timing. And it is because the, the, the family with whom he stayed in Jamaica were also donors to the Trudeau Foundation. And the Trudeau Foundation is essentially collateral damage to the main issue still about foreign interference, uh, China, and what the government did to respond to, to intelligence reports regarding that interference. And so really, if the interference story were not happening, this would be much more of an argument, oh, look at a privileged prime minister with a privileged background being able to access all this type of wealth for his vacation. That would be the narrative. But what makes this more difficult for the prime minister is the Trudeau Foundation and how it be, how it is now this secondary issue to the main issue of national security and Canadian democracy. Yeah, I mean, there's so many parts to this holiday that you could focus on mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. if you're staying in a place for nine thousand dollars a night i mean some people out there might say okay if i phone you looking for a resolution of my problem and you just gave me and i just stayed at your place for nine thousand dollars a night and um you know he was asked numerous times did you pay for it i mean yeah. i don't know if he paid for it he never answered but you know uh, 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 are you going to get your issues dealt with quickly or maybe it's just because, you know, if I've been a friend for 50 years, maybe you get your issues dealt with quickly. Absolutely. But, and that and again, that's that's the split, right? Without without the China interference story, this could become a different issue solely standing on its own about uh, what type of access, what type of uh, influence does anyone that pays for $9,000 a night gain uh, from the prime minister. But again, the argument he makes, these are longtime family friends. Right, right. But you know, and the thing is, when he took the holiday, the Trudeau Foundation wasn't necessarily in the news. Would he take mm -hmm. the same mm -hmm. holiday now? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, and the, the thing is for the prime minister to say, I have nothing to do with the Trudeau Foundation. That's fine. But you're staying at some of the big donors, you know, uh, the house. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. And so it's hard to distance yourself from the fact that I've got nothing to do with it when you're vacationing with them. You know, it's just that it's almost like, you know, here we go again. Like I, I, the Bloc Québécois was saying yesterday, does he not hear that little voice in, in your head going, no, 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 you shouldn't be doing this. <laughs> like he, he must say, like, buzz off little voice in my head. I don't well, know. I don't well, know what yeah. he says, but he, he keeps, you know, the problem is if you're sitting at home and you're trying to tighten your budget and, you know, you were yep. thinking of your New Year's Eve and you didn't go out because it was too expensive. And then you got a prime minister who's managing the country. And, and you know, it's just all a lot of it is optics, you know, even Ooh. telling public servants, we don't have any money to pay you. Well, yeah. <laughs> Why don't you give us some of the money you blew on your vacation? Well, it's yeah, just it's optics. It, it is optics. And, you know, it goes to the long list of unforced errors when it comes to this prime minister and, and also adds to the narrative about how sensitive he is or attuned he actually is to the struggles of, every, of everyday Canadians, you know, evidenced by the very fact that he was in Tofino on the first National Day of Truth and Reconciliation. So, so you know, it it goes to that narrative and to that criticism uh, that opposition members like to make about Justin Trudeau. Right. And, and this can be really problematic you know some people are saying this pension for luxury could be his achilles heel i mean you look back at brian mulrooney uh you know it was always the gucci shoes and it looked like he was living large i mean this was the thing that uh Kretien, who came afterwards said mm -hmm. i'm not that guy i'm just gonna mm -hmm. govern i'm not into gucci shoes you know i mean which it's, is oh, also why 24 sussex drive is falling apart because nobody wanted to spend the money on it <laughs> no exactly but it's a lot about contrast right but it was yeah, interesting absolutely. that Dion, the 
um, ethics commissioner who stepped down uh, about two months ago or so, you know, that he was tweeting yesterday saying gifts from a friend are acceptable from a legal ethical point of view. Public opinion sometimes uses a different test and that is healthy. So for for the prime minister, you know, he can say the ethics commissioner cleared this, Mm -hmm, but we mm -hmm. don't know. Did the ethics commissioner know that the Trudeau Foundation uh, you know, that he was going to a place that a Trudeau Foundation, you know, contributor owned. Uh, but it's all about what does the public think? Yeah, absolutely. And which is why there there is power in the argument that we're hearing from Pierre Poliev when he stands up in the House saying, did you pay for the rooms? You know, mm-hmm. should, what did you actually pay for? Uh, because that will be a question that resonates with many Canadians. Well, yeah, and especially because the problem is if you've got some baggage on this issue, whether it's Aga Khan or staying in a $6,000 hotel room when you when the queen's funeral and and you know surfing in tofino on national reconciliation day it's about baggage that accumulates mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and again and the narrative and you know it's the conservatives before trudeau were very successful in defining who the liberal leader was before the liberal leader could define themselves we saw that with michael ignatiev we saw that with Stephen dion yeah and here you have uh essentially uh, a definition being created around the prime minister aided by the prime minister and the actions that he takes in terms of where he goes on vacation and where he's seen. So, you know, self-inflicted wounds, like someone should send him some brochures for holiday express. (laughs) Holiday and Express. <laughs> anyway, Michael, I can talk about that go, one for hours. But, <laughs> buddy, why don't you try one of these places? They can put security around it and you won't get the hassle you're getting now. But anyway, um, so we'll talk again soon. And it was great talking to you and have a wonderful day. You too, Julie. Thank you. That's Michael Serapio, host of CPAC's Primetime Politics. And I think it is telling that in order to attack this institution that is important for many, many Canadians. He runs to American billionaires. Now, let's take a look at what political columnists, commentators, and editorialists are saying today. In the Toronto Star, Susan Delacourt argues Pierre Poilievre's solution for a broken Canada is to break more things, including the CBC. She writes, Pierre Poilievre appears to have divided this country into two nations. There's a Canada that Justin Trudeau broke, and then there's the Canada that the Conservative leader himself wants to break. The Canadian Broadcasting Corporation definitely falls into the want-to-break category. But Poilievre may want to reflect on the relevancy of his grudges to the larger non-CBC-hating public. At the moment, it's looking a lot like his only antidote to what he sees as a broken Canada is to break more things. In the Ottawa Citizen, Randall Denley argues preserving a flawed public health system shouldn't take precedence over helping sick people. He writes, one must understand that Canada's approach to public health care is unique, not normal. Other high-income OECD countries with universal health care don't prohibit private care the way Canada does. They include Australia, France, Germany, the Netherlands, New Zealand, Sweden, Switzerland, and the United Kingdom. Canada's healthcare system is fine in theory and great when it works, but we should look to other countries where most healthcare is publicly provided, and the parallel private system is a safety valve when the public system falls short. The fact that Canada is slowly edging in that direction should be cheered, not condemned. Now here's what's coming up on today's political agenda. The Prime Minister will attend the National Caucus meeting and question period. 
and he will meet with Suzanne Clark, the chief executive officer of the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. He will also speak with the Prime Minister of Ethiopia, Abiy Ahmed. Deputy Prime Minister Christia Freeland will attend the caucus meeting. NDP leader Jagmeet Singh will attend his party's caucus. He will also speak to reporters before attending question period. Environment Minister Stephen Gilbo will be among the speakers at the Net Zero Leadership Summit in Ottawa. That's CPAC Today in Politics for Wednesday, April 19th. Tune in to Primetime Politics tonight on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. I'm Julie Van Dusen. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.